0: Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 16. I hope you had an opportunity this afternoon to refresh your memory about this story of the unjust steward. It is a, frankly, a rather confusing one, and I know I wondered about it for some time. And I still wonder about it. I don't know that I have all the answers. But about a year and a half ago, one of you, one of the church members, said to me, would you please preach... From Luke 16 on the unjust steward so that I can have a better understanding of what it's about and uh, I began to study it out and then I Frankly, I don't remember something came up and I set it aside and recently as I was looking at it again I thought oh, yes, so I went back uh, Looked through some helpful books that I had and none of the ideas I had tonight are original with me But I think I have a much better understanding of why Jesus told this parable And what he wants the main teaching to be but what I'd like to do A little bit differently than I normally do is I'd like to lead you through understanding this parable by asking questions. So if I can have some men come, maybe those two ushers we had earlier, I think they already went back to count. Great. Look look at that. We got two people. Thank you. If you give one of those to each adult, if there's plenty of leftover, you're welcome to give them to the children. But um, I have about 40, so let's start with that. Don't roll your sleeves no. I won't roll my sleeves up. I won't. <laughs> Luke chapter 16. Before I even began to uh, study it out, I, I read it through and re- remarked on some things that I noticed right off the bat. And so if you've read it through, um, well, let's read it through. I'll read it out loud. You follow along. If you've read it through, Think through your mind, what do you notice immediately about this parable, the, the strange things, the average things, the things that are that are notable, and uh, let me read it to you, Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 8 is the parable, We're gonna, we might work our way all the way down to 13, this uh, message is going to be a little bit different because I'm going to help you understand the passage, that's going to take the majority of our time tonight, and then I've got five applications, that's where the preaching comes in, and we may not get to all five applications, we'll, we'll see. Um, Luke chapter 16, verse 1, follow along as I read out loud. He, this is Jesus, well, let me get the first word, and he, this is Jesus, said also unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, how is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship, I cannot beg, I cannot dig, to beg I am ashamed. I resolve what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him, and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. This would have been olive oil, right? A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, and sit down quickly, and write fifty. And he said to another, And how much owest thou? And he said, An hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and write fourscore, or eighty. Take thy bill and write eighty. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Now the things I noticed immediately is that even after the steward realized he was caught, he cheated his master some more. Yep. That takes guts or stupidity. I'm not sure which one. The second thing I noticed was that the man, the steward, wasn't even fair or just with the people that he helped cheat the master. One guy says, I owe 100 measures, uh, uh, what is it, uh, 100 measures yeah, of oil. He said, okay, write 50. He reduces that guy's by half. The other guy says, I, ha- I have 100 measures of wheat. And he says, oh, okay, write 80. He only reduces that by 20%. This guy just cheats everybody. (laughs) And yet, regardless of the unjust steward's swindling ways, the master, the Lord, who should condemn him, come on, you're just a cheat and a crook, it says he commends him. Now, it also says the unjust steward. So it's not saying, you did a good job, let's all be like this guy. But he is wiser, the Bible says, than some. And let's think through how, in what way, He's wiser than some. Let's pray. And as I pray, I'm going to ask the Lord to help us think through this passage. And then we'll get to it. Father, thank you for your word. And I'm grateful that you give us not just a few parables, but literally 66 books. Thousands in my Bible. Thousands of pages. So that we can compare scripture with scripture. And gain a better understanding of this passage. And Lord, open my mind. Open my Sisters and brothers in the Lord, open our minds to truth tonight, help us to see what you're teaching your disciples in this passage, and to have a better understanding of it. And I pray, Father, that you would guide our thinking. I claim your promise, what two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst of them. We claim your pr- presence tonight. We know you never leave us, you never forsake us. But we want to sense your presence as we study this passage together. And I ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, amen. amen. So on your sheet there, you have uh, some questions, and what I've done is I've gone question by question here in these slides so you can have a good idea of where we're at on this sheet of paper. You might find that you want to write down the answers as we go through, Um, but let's start with that first question, who was the main character in the last parable? Go back to chapter 15, and that parable is much better known even than this parable. That's called the parable of the prodigal son. And who is the main character in the last parable? Yeah, the prodigal son. Okay. Is the prodigal son a good guy or a bad guy? He's a bad guy, but despite his bad guyness, okay, um, he's forgiven by a loving father. So we see that already some parable, some parallels between these two parables. Now you say, well, why do you think? that there's any parallels at all to be sought between the parable of the prodigal son and the parable of the unjust steward. Well, look at verse 1 and tell me why you think we should be looking for parallel parallels between the parables. Parallels between the parables. Yes, John? Also. And also. Okay, so this isn't just a separate parable. You know, Jesus was telling the parable of the prodigal son and then maybe some days later he tells a different parable. And Luke puts them together because he just that's just the way the Holy Spirit led him. No, no, these parables were told at the same time. First, the parable of the prodigal son. And also, and then he tells the disciples a different parable. That's important. The Pharisees are still standing there because in verse 14 it says, and the parables also who were covetous heard all these things. And they derided it. But the parable is not directed toward the, the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders as the parables in chapter 15 were. These are more directed to the disciple, but there's still some parallels. That's, that's important. That'll help you understand where we're headed with this. Now, notice the uh, the context here. I've already covered the similarities. Well, no, I have it. What are the similarities between this parable and the parable of the prodigal son? Yes, Matt. Yeah. They You've got a prodigal son who wastes what he has. As an inheritance from his father, you have a steward who wastes what he has in stewardship from a master. Good. What else do you see here? Authority structure. Yeah, there's some authority structure. You've got a father and a son. Then you have a lord and a a master and a a steward. Yes, Roger. Forgiveness. Forgiveness in both. This is really critical. I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag. (laughs) Forgiveness is really critical in both of these, isn't it? We're going to see that uh, again. The second or the fourth thing I want you to notice about both is both of them have a rich person and someone else. Now, in the story of the prodigal son, is the rich guy, is the rich dude a bad guy or a good guy? He's actually a good guy. Sometimes we assume that just because a person's rich, they're the bad guy. But don't assume that in the story that the rich man here is a bad guy. Because in the story of the prodigal son, you had a very rich father who generously gave a son his share of the inheritance, and even after the son squandered that, received him back as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, uh, as a son, not as a servant, as a son. Okay, next question. And this one's a little bit out of order. That's why there's an asterisk next to it. If you're following along in your sheet, I've actually jumped down a little bit uh, in, your, in your notes. Pull that question up to the top here. This one you're gonna to have to think deeply about here. What can we learn about the rich man from this parable? Don't I'm not talking about his relationship to the steward now. Okay, we're gonna to get to that question here in a minute. But what do we know about this rich man not related to his involvement with the steward? Obviously he's rich. But in what way is he rich? What kind of goods? Worldly goods, okay. But specifically, what kind of worldly goods? Do people owe him money? Now, there's several parables about people who owe money, right? There's the fellow who owed, what, millions of dollars to another guy, and he goes, and he's forgiven. He goes and grabs a guy and says, you owe me 20 cents? I mean, I'm using my own numbers here. Mm -hmm. You remember that story had very specific coinage. The people in this parable, do they owe the rich man money, coins? What do they owe him? They owe him commodities, agricultural commodities. Why? Now, this one we're stepping a little bit outside of, of the, the scripture, but not much. Because we're, we're thinking as first century Jews would think. Why would people owe a rich man in town agricultural commodities? He owns the property. That they yes, he owns the property and they're renting it. And as their rent, they don't give him money because they don't have any money. They're cash poor. They have an olive uh, uh, orchard that they rent from the master and they get olives and then they crush them and they make oil and a certain amount they give to the master. Now, if in one year they have a bad crop or maybe they, they don't work as hard as they should or whatever, then the master says, okay, I tell you what, I'm not gonna take this away this year, but you owe me X measures of oil, right? They write that down. Then another guy has a wheat field, and he's careless, and he sets half of it on fire. And so he doesn't have enough wheat to pay the master one year. And the master says, hey, listen, it's okay. You're going to have to work hard to make this up, though, but I need more measures of wheat from you next year. Okay, so write that down. By the way, this is not a question on your sheet. Who's doing all the writing, do you think? The steward. Not the rich man. How do I know that? Because later in the story, the steward's going to have the books that are needed, in order to fudge the books. The Lord doesn't have, the master doesn't have, and the steward does. In fact, my guess, this is Scott Dean guessing here, that was the steward's main job was to keep the books. Because later he'll say, I I cannot dig. Now, what he doesn't mean by that is, you know, I'm just too proud to dig. He means I am physically incapable of digging. Why? He's been in the office all day. He's been like Jesse, you know, I just, you know, I just <laughs> <see such> a... <laughs> by the way, if I tease you from the pulpit, that means I love you, okay? I, I do that to people I really love, and, and Jesse's one of my dear friends, but I tease him from time to time. He's just, he's, he's, he's probably just keeps the books. That's what his job is as a steward. Okay, so we know the rich man is a landlord, and again, to the disciples, this would have been perfectly clear. They grew up in small Judean, uh, small Galilean villages, excuse me. Small Galilean villages, as soon as they hear a story about a guy who's rich and people owe him agricultural commodities, of course, he's the landlord. I mean, that's what he does. So that's what the rich man does. What do we know about stewards from the Bible? What do stewards do in general from the Bible? What do we know? know Yeah, they take care of the master's business. They don't own it. They just control it for him. Who is, in your mind, go back to the book of Genesis... Who's the most famous steward you can think of in the book of Genesis? There's several. Joseph, who ran Potiphar's house. Who owned it? Potiphar. When he didn't want Joseph anymore, he threw him in jail. He didn't have to, you know, let's see, how much do I owe you for your labor? No, no, Joseph was a slave. And probably this steward doesn't have anything to his own name. Okay, so that's stewards. Let's move on to the next question here. Here's a question that isn't in your Bible. You're going to have to think through. It. I mean, it's there, but you have to think through it. It doesn't say the name of these people. But how does the rich man know that the steward is cheating him, or that the steward is mismanaging his funds? How does this? How does the rich man know the steward is no good, Caleb? Somebody told him. Somebody from where? It doesn't. It's not there. Some, where do you think these people are from? Yeah, perhaps the debtors who owe money to the landlord say, hey, you're steward. He's not keeping very good records. Last year, I owed you 100 measures, and now I owe you 200 measures. Maybe it was someone else from the village. This is, again, a small, probably a small agricultural village that Jesus has in mind as he tells this story to his disciples. If they'd been in a big city like Jerusalem, they'd probably be dealing with money, with coins and certain amounts, but they're not. They're in a small village, so... You know, somebody comes to him and says, hey, you know, this guy is cheating. Now, how do I know that? Because look at the text. It says in verse 2, how is it that I fear this of thee? Now, the master doesn't tell him who told or what they said. But he says, hey, you're mismanaging things. Why am I hearing this? Okay? Keep that in mind. Next question. Now, from his treatment of the steward, specifically from his treatment of the steward, what else can we say now about the rich man? Well, let me ask you this question. Let's imagine you own some rental properties here in Vacaville, and you own some rental properties in Fairfield, and you have enough rental properties that you say to a friend, hey, you manage the rental properties in Fairfield, and I'll manage the rental properties here in Vacaville. And that goes fine for a couple of years until you hear from one of your renters that your buddy, who doesn't own the properties, just helping you manage them, has kept raising their rent every year and not telling you about it. And he's taken more money from the renters than he should. What do you do? You don't call him in and say, hey, what's going on here? Let's, uh, let's talk about this. You call the police, the guys stealing from you, right? So, what is this? What, what could have happened, not what did happen, but what could have happened if the rich man is has a steward who's mismanaging and maybe even embezzling his funds? What can the rich man do in first century Galilee to even the score? Throw him in prison until he pays it all back. That's not what he threatens to do here, is it? What is it? What does he tell this man is going to be the consequence of cheating him? You're fired. Okay, that's bad. I admit that's bad, but that's not I'm selling you into slavery, which he could have done, right? I want my money back. I'm selling you into slavery if you can't pay it back. You're going to prison if you can't pay it back. You remember in that story that's, uh, I believe it's in Matthew 18, could be 19, the man who owed the huge sum of money, coins, And he's forgiven his debt. Then he goes out and he finds a guy who owes him just a couple of coins. And he shakes him down and throws him into prison until he pays it. And then his master hears about it. And he says, you're going to prison until you pay all of it. Now that is about forgiveness, about specifically forgiving others because we've been forgiven. So the possibility here is that this man could go to prison... This man could be sold into slavery, but the rich man doesn't do that. So what does that tell us about the rich man? And Roger already let the cat out of the bag, which I'm glad he did. What what does it tell us about the rich man? He's merciful. He's forgiving. In fact, fact, the steward has mismanaged his funds, maybe even embezzled his funds, and the rich man does not say, you owe me, does he? He doesn't say that. The rich man is willing to eat those losses, how many rich people do you know gladly eat their losses? Do? None that I know. Of. I mean they didn't get rich by being stupid, right? So this rich man is different. He's forgiving, he's kind, he's generous. And we're going to see that's going to come out again in a bit. Guillermo's a little bit lost. to help him understand. we him a Yes. That bad guy yes, why? No, 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 no. You missed it. Okay, you miss it. You miss it. We'll get there. If, if at the end of my lesson, before the applications, you still think that, I'll let you have the floor, okay? What do we know from this parable? What do we know about this specific steward? Look at the details we have here. What do we know? Verse 8 says he is unjust. Okay, we know he's unjust. The steward is unjust. What else do we know? He's shrewd. He's clever in a, you know, worldly sort of way. Yeah. What else do you see? He's not a very good steward, right? I mean, otherwise he wouldn't be in this predicament. He's a liar. Now, it doesn't say that he lied and said, but he calls people in as if he's still in charge. How do you know as if he's still in charge? Well, why does the steward have any authority in his little village? In the name of the landlord. right? right. Mm-hmm. So in verse 5, when it says he called in the debtors. If I know the guy's been fired, and that he has no authority, I don't go see him. I'll go to the landlord. But the landlord is so kind and so generous, he's evidently handled this quietly. He's called the steward in. Hey, he said, what's, what's going on? Right? We're going to get to that little conversation here in a bit. And yet the steward's able to go out and say, hey, hey, I need to talk to you. Come here. And the debtor responds with, okay, what do you have to say? He still thinks the steward's controlling the books. He he has to, right? I mean, let's imagine you owe some money to the bank on a car loan, okay? And I call you and I say, hey, I understand you owe $5,000 to the bank on a car loan. Go ahead and write $2,500. You're just going to hang up on me. Who am I? Right. They think he must still be in charge, otherwise they wouldn't agree to his terms. And you'll understand where I'm headed here in a second, so don't get too lost. Yes, Katie? Well, the master commended him because just as the master was merciful to the steward... The steward oh, okay, now you're letting too much out of the bag. Yes, okay. <laughs> yeah. just, just, yes, you're right, but just hold that thought. Okay, Let's go head? When the steward says to him, how is it that I hear this of thee... What is the steward's response? Now look at verse 2 with me. I've gotten a little ahead of myself because I got excited. I'm get back. <laughs> verse 2, he says, He, the landlord, called him, the steward, said unto the steward, How is it that I hear this of thee? What is the steward's response? It doesn't say anything. Now this is really important because if somebody accuses you falsely, if I say, hey, Marcos, you stole my car. Marcos doesn't say, so <laughs> what are you talking about? I didn't steal your car. I don't got Come see. Look, look at my property. Why doesn't the steward give the landlord an answer? Now, let me, let me tell you this story, true story. Oh, back to, uh, I found out very early in my teaching career that when I heard that a student had cheated on a test or a quiz, and I could verify it through other means, so I, I knew I had the student I did not go to the student and say, why did you cheat on this test by doing this? I would start with this question, are you cheating? Because oftentimes a student would say to me, oh, you caught me, yeah, I cheated on yesterday's quiz. I didn't even know about yesterday's quiz. <laughs> I knew about previous week's test, but I didn't tell them, I just, oh, you have you cheated? Oh yeah, on yesterday's quiz oh, what did you do on yesterday's quiz? And they would actually tell me things that I didn't even know. <laughs> but see, this steward is shrewder than that. He doesn't know what the landlord knows. He doesn't, he's not sure what he's been told. So rather than incriminate himself by trying to make up something when he doesn't even know, he, all the landlords ask him is, hey, what am I hearing about you? Oh, I'm cocked. Let me just not say anything. But by not saying anything, what has the steward implicitly, not explicitly, not out loud, but in his own heart and in the landlord's mind, what has the steward just said? I'm guilty. Now, exactly what I'm guilty of, I'm not saying, but I'm guilty. We know that because the next thing the landlord says to him is, And this is what the rich man says next. He says, give an account of thy stewardship. By the way, this is what one of the clues to the story that, one of the clues that leads us to understand the steward is in control of some books, some written documents. Give an account of your stewardship. Says, okay, you better bring the books and we're going to look at them. We're going to find out what you've been doing. Right? If the landlord is controlling the books, he doesn't ask for an account. He has the account in front of him. So he says, give an account. And and implicit here is that the books are not in front of the landlord and the steward. They're some other location. The steward's going to have to go get them and bring them back and give an account. Second thing he says, thou mayest no longer be steward. I'm going to translate that into modern-day English. You're fired. That's what the rich man says. Why does he fire him? Because he realizes his guilt. Now, it's interesting, and one of the commentaries I read pointed this out. Now, in American culture, sometimes, you know, you're fired, you're fired, okay, they, they caught me. At least I don't get thrown into prison. But in Middle Eastern culture, it's, it's very common for people to argue even if they're in the wrong. It's almost expected that you would just argue because, I mean, that's what everyone does. So he doesn't argue because he knows he's been caught. He knows there's nothing he can say. He's not even sure what the landlord knows. He's just grateful to get out of there without being sent to prison but he still has the books. How do we know that? Because in verse five, it says that he said, or it's from verse six, he says, sit down quickly and write. Where is he writing? He's writing in the books, right? He's not just writing on scraps of paper. And we'll get to that in a second. Next question. So what is the steward's dilemma? And I'll help you with that one. He's out of a job. He's fired. But it's worse than that because he's been fired for Incompetence at best, and embezzlement at worst. And how is he going to get a job as a steward if nobody can trust him? That's his problem. He can't go to someone else and say, you know that job I did for the landlord? I mean, you know, I did a really good job. That's why I got fired. I not work. And in, in addition to that, he's probably older. It, it does say, I cannot... Dig. It doesn't mean I cannot, like, I, I'm just too proud to dig. It means he's, I'm physically incapable of digging. And I'm ashamed to beg because he's not handicapped. See, in Jesus' day, if you were blind, you were expected to beg. The fellow who couldn't walk sat at the gate beautiful, begged for alms. But here's an able bodied guy who's just been fired for incompetence. He can't, and he's in a small agricultural community. It's not going to take long for this story to get out. He says, I've got to do something. And In fact, what is the steward's stated goal? In the passage, it tells us exactly what the steward's goal is in his next move. What's his goal? He's trying to get favor from the Yes, thank you, Chuck. He's trying to gain favor from the community so that he'll be received into their houses when he's kicked out of the masters. It says that right there. I want to do something. But the problem is the steward has no money. He has no property. He doesn't have anything except the landlord's books. So before he takes the books back to the landlord, and that's, again, that's why we know he must have some books. He says, verse 5, he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him. Now, um, we're going to skip that second question here. Ah, yeah, we'll stay on that question for a second. He called every one of his debtors unto him. This is really important. He doesn't go to the debtor's house and say, oh, by by the way, uh, there's been some problems here. No, he calls the debtors to him. And again, the significance of that is nobody comes to see the steward unless they think he's still employed by the landlord and that he still has some authority. But they do come. All right, what's up? I mean, is there a problem? I mean, you know, I, I owe this guy 100 measures of oil, but... I don't have it today. Stuart says, it's okay. I want you to sit down and I want you to write 50 measures. Now, I know this is a little bit of a brain twister, but why does this guy, this debtor, this man who owes the the landlord money, go along with this idea? Isn't he just going to get in trouble as soon as the landlord finds out? Unless the landlord is what kind of person? The type of person who would forgive debts. Don't miss that. You're in a small agricultural village. I mean, you can't fake it very long. The only reason they think the steward is saying, sit down and write 50, is not because they think they can cheat the landlord together. In fact, it says what? Let me make sure I, I got it right. Yeah, take thy bill, here's your bill, here's your piece of paper, take your bill and write 50. They don't burn the bill, right? They don't make a new bill. They write 50 on the old bill which is also gonna have other ledgers. Trust me, this is why I disagree with Guillermo. Because the people in this town expect that this landlord is generous. And then he's suddenly forgiven half the debt! Woohoo! <laughs> now seriously, it'd be like your credit union calling you, hey, you owe $10,000 on that car. We decided to reduce it to $8,000. How long do you argue with your credit union? No, no, I really want to pay $10,000. <laughs> you say, hey, can I have a? Receipt. And as soon as you have proof, you're, you're out the door. And if they call you back in and they want 10,000, you say, whoa, whoa, look at this. That's exactly what this steward is doing. He's banking, listen to this carefully because we're gonna get back to this. He's banking on the generosity of the landlord because only he, he returns those books. Why doesn't the landlord just say, yeah, you're too smart for your own good. I'm not, I'm not forgiving these guys these debts. Whose losses has the landlord already eaten? All these people. The stewards. Remember he told the steward, hey, I want the books, you're fired. But he doesn't say, you owe me. He's going to eat that loss. And the steward says, if he's willing to eat my loss, maybe he's willing to eat the loss of the olive oil guy. And if he's willing to eat my loss, maybe he's willing to eat the loss of the wheat guy. Because there's no way he's pulling the... see." Some people think he's pulling the wool over people's eyes. I mean, that's like Silicon Valley Bank saying, we really have enough money. We just, just don't look too closely, right? This isn't going to stand. His changing these bills is not going to stand because he's already been fired. The landlord's going to say, I didn't give the steward permission to do that. You can't just have your bill reduced like by that much, unless we have a rich man who's also forgiving. generous don't miss that now you say well rich man they're not forgiving and generous how about the prodigal son's father is he a rich man did he eat those losses or did he say to his son hey now i'm willing to accept you back as a son but you know you took this much money you've got to pay me back he didn't say that did he he's generous and he's forgiving now that really rankles his older son how can you just forgive this guy he's squandered his living Rich man says, "It's my money. I can do what I want with it." So that's why I firmly believe that this rich man has a reputation in his village for being generous and forgiving, to a fault. Now, there was a hand up. Is that hand still up? No. Okay. Because seriously, we'll stop and we can look at this here, but this is important to me because otherwise, I'm sort of guessing. But I'm not. I don't think I'm guessing because the parable is an and also following on the prodigal son. Where you have a rich man who forgives his son for being evil and wasting his money. And now you have a rich man here who's going to forgive a a steward for being incompetent or maybe an embezzler. And instead of the steward saying, oh, I guess I'm just out of a job. He says, you know what? I'm going to bank on my, my master being even more generous and even more forgiving than he was with me. And that's why, I'm going to get to the end and we'll come back here, but that's why the the rich man at the end, he commends the, what kind of steward? He doesn't commend him because he's a good steward. He says, you are a terrible steward, but you know my character. You're a terrible steward, but you knew that I would forgive. Because listen, what's going to happen in a small agricultural village, in a small agricultural village, let's use... uh, Marcos here, as the as the oil olive oil guy, he owes 100 measures of oil. Then the steward, obviously acting on behalf of the landlord, why wouldn't he be, calls Marcos in. By the way, do you notice it says each, excuse me, it says every one. He doesn't call him in as a group and say, uh, hey, uh, what do you owe? Yeah, yeah, you do that. Um, how about you? No, you do that. No, this means he calls Marcos in. Let's have a private conversation with Marcos, take your bill and write down 50. Marcos writes down 50. And what does Marcos go home and do? Yeah, jumps up and down and tells his wife, hey, we got half of our debt forgiven. Now you have a generous landlord. Is he going to come back to Marcos, to Patty? Say, Patty, Marcos is a bozo. I don't know why he ever thought I was going to forgive half of his debt. That's gonna make the landlord look really bad. So the landlord says, you know what? I've already eaten a bunch of losses with this stupid steward, I'm just gonna eat this one. Because who gets the goodwill out of forgiving the debts? Not only the steward, but who else? Landlord. Landlord, what a nice guy, what a nice guy. Okay, here's the point. How much money, how much agricultural goods does the steward receive from his embezzlement? Nothing. The only thing he gets is goodwill. This is also key because if he's planning to run out of the village, what does he want to take with him? As much money as he can. He's not planning to leave the village. He's told us that what all he wants is to be received into somebody else's house when his job is over. That's all he wants. This is a key because he's not trying to embezzle more from the steward. Now, he does rip the steward, I mean, from the landlord. He does rip the landlord off. I'm not arguing with that. I'm just saying, the steward doesn't get any money from this because he's not going anywhere. And I've already given you the answer to this. Why does the steward think that he can get away with further embezzlement? He's already mismanaged or embezzled part of his master's funds. He's been caught. He's been fired. And then he goes out and does it some more. Because he's banking on the forgiveness and the goodness of a rich guy who's going to eat those losses. I just don't see how you can see it any other way. Yes, Jesse. Is it possible that he carried forward the same heart of forgiveness that the Master had for him to these other individuals? We don't know why one was 50 and one was 80, but is it possible that he was in fact reflecting the forgiveness of the Father on these people some I had not thought about that angle, Jesse. So I'm going to give it some thought this week. Jesse suggested what the steward's really doing here is he's reflecting the forgiving and generous nature of the master. He's he's learned that from the master. The master, he's seen the master do it other times, and he thinks, you know what? This can work for me. That's not my stuff anyway, right? Right. But that's what he does. Thank you. I'm not sure, Jesse. I'll have to give that some thought. Caleb, you had a comment. I like like Jesse's interpretation, but on your interpretation of the parable, what's the purpose, or what's the moral, or the meaning of? The parable. The, the overall parable. Yeah. Okay, here it is. You ready? Yeah. <laughs> the steward depends on the gracious and forgiving nature of his employer, and he's not disappointed. That's that's what I believe the point of the parable is. He says, you know, the guy forgave me. The guy didn't ask me to pay back, so whether it's because he's imbibed that spirit from the landlord or he's just trying to play the landlord— and get some goodwill with the local village, he goes out and he forgives other people. And in the end, does the landlord demand all this back? No. He commends the unjust steward because he was wise to trust the landlord's forgiveness. Let me say that again. He was wise. You can't say he was wise with money. How much money does the does the steward carry away from all this? Best we can tell, nothing. He's not wise about the money, he's wise about his master's character. That his master's going to forgive, and he's gonna, he's gonna stake his future on it, because if the master goes back to Marcos and Patty and says, hey, you know that hundred measures of oil, you still owe that. Is Marcos and Patty going to be happy with the steward or angry? And where is the steward, whose house is the steward gonna go to? Not their house. Mm-hmm. But if the last thing, that the last bit of business the steward has done with Marcos and Patty is forgive half of their debt, when they hear he's out of a job, what are they going to say to him? Come on to my house, you can stay with me for a while. Now, I agree, the steward earned that goodwill by misspending his master's money. Don't, don't misunderstand, I'm not trying to make the steward into a good guy, he's a bad guy. It'd be like trying to rehabilitate the prodigal son. The prodigal son is an idiot, I mean he is. But what does the prodigal son do? He bets that his father will at least let him be a servant and feed him. And he's right. And what does the unjust steward do? He bets that the master will at least cover his losses and not require all the money back. And is he right? He's right. Yes, he Is it okay to... Disagree, of course. Okay, so to me... Verse nine... No, not to me. What does the Bible say? The, to me, the water down in verse 9 and 10 talks about what's the purpose... Right, excellent. Read verse nine for us. They uh, okay, said, so, and I said to you, my friends, make friends with yourselves by unrighteous mammon. That when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Excellent. Stop right there. Make friends of the unrighteous mammon. Got that, everyone? What eternal homes do the people with unrighteous mammon have? It's worse than that. Hades. They're going to Hades. <laughs> You want to go to Hades with them? Go right ahead. I take that as irony. Literary irony. Because they don't have eternal homes you want to go to. I mean, if Elon Musk, God bless him, I don't see any indication he's a Christian. If Elon Musk says to me, hey, listen, I will pay you whatever it takes for you to cheat somebody. I don't want Elon Musk's money. Maybe I'll get rich in this life, but in the next life, he has nothing for me. And see, the Pharisees are listening, and the Pharisees, verse 14 tells us, are... Covetous. Verse 14 tells us the Pharisees are covetous. That means they want more money. And Jesus is trying to disabuse them of this idea that money is going to solve their problems. Go ahead, Guillermo. Oh well, no, verse then then goes on. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also much. And he who is in in what is least is, is also much. Yes, so what is the least in that verse, according to my interpretation? Uh... Well, oh, in in, uh, in for me, okay, yes. Well, yeah, um, is if if we're given uh, a small portion. Okay, no, but he says, "He who is faithful in that which is least is that what it says?" Yes. Okay, what is the least according to my interpretation? Who can answer that? Who what? Who thinks they know what I think is the least in verse ten? Yes. Who said that? Money. money is the least. Jesus is trying to tell them money. <laughs> You think money's going to solve your problems. Money isn't going to solve your problems. But if you can be faithful in money, that which is least, guess what I can do for you? I can give you things that really are valuable. Amen. Now, if you think money is what's really valuable, then, yeah, we need to find something else least, and then you get money. Now, my experience, and I'm, I'm admitting this is my experience, money is not my problem. Money is not my I mean, I have problems with money, but... If I'm faithful with money, God's always taking care of my needs. I always, I can tell you story after story about how I didn't think I had enough money to accomplish God's will. And then God just, this building out here is a testament to that. You know, if we would have started this project in 2014 thinking, uh, we know exactly where the money is going to come from. We would have never started because we didn't know where the money was going to come from. We knew that God was leading us to build the building. So we got started. And has God provided each step of the way? I believe He has. And that's why I don't go to I go to sleep at night and I sleep fine. I don't worry about how that building's gonna be finished because God's gonna take care of it. Because if I'm faithful in that which is least money, God can give me things that are truly are valuable. That's the way I read verse 10. And if you're unfaithful in money, now we'll get into the applications. Here's application number one. I'm probably only going to give you one app. Oh, by the way, here's the last couple of blanks here because don't miss this on the next page. This story is not about a conniving steward. This story is about a landlord who is rich in mercy and goodness. Just like the story of the prodigal son isn't about how to lose your dad's wealth. The story of the prodigal son is about how the rich father forgave a son who didn't deserve forgiveness. Does this steward deserve forgiveness? No. no. He deserves to be thrown into prison until he pays all the money back. And he should pay back his Marcos's 50 measures of oil. He should pay back Caleb's 20 measures of wheat. But you know what the rich man says? Okay, you're stupid, but at least you're a clever sort of stupid. You go, you've lost your job, but at least Marcos will let you into his house, and at least Caleb will let you into his house because you treated those guys with some something. And Jesus says to the Pharisees who are standing there listening in verse 14, hey, you better make friends with those people with money because they are where you're going to spend eternity. No. And if you want to spend eternity with the unrighteous man and people, think about it. That's what Jesus is saying in verse 9. That's why I see verse 9 as, as, as irony. Let me get to first application. Five. I have five. I'm not going to give you all five. I'm going to give you one tonight. Maybe we'll give you the others later. Think about your future. Think about your future. I don't mean tomorrow or the next day. I mean your eternal future. Where are you going to spend your eternal future if you're a child of God? In the presence of God forever. Because you were a good person? Because you were really smart. You are religious. No, because God loved you. And he was forgiving. Think about your past. What lies in your past? I don't know, but I can tell you it's under the blood of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Did God forgive you because you made up for all the stupid things you did? Mm-hmm. didn't forgive me for that reason. He forgave me because of the pl- precious blood of Jesus Christ, who died in my place as a lamb without blemish and without spot. So why do we carry a burden of guilt? Why do we carry a burden of guilt? I tell you, if you're a child of God, God does not want you to feel guilty. You banked on his forgiveness when he saved you and gave you eternal life. You banked on his forgiveness when you came to him and you said, God, I have a past that is really broken and messed up. God forgave you then. Why doesn't God just keep forgiving you? Well, if you have guilt, somewhere in there, you're thinking God's going to quit forgiving you. At least the steward was wise enough to figure out that if the landlord forgave him once, he was going to forgive him again. I really, frankly, I believe that this is the meaning of this parable to these disciples. They would have realized, this is a wacky situation. What guy just forgives his stupid steward and doesn't demand the money back? And then the steward, instead of, you know, getting out of dodge, commits more crime... Because everyone knows that this landlord going to be generous. And the landlord does commend the unjust steward because he's wise enough to realize that the landlord is a forgiving, good, gracious landlord. You've banked on God's mercy in the past. You can trust that God's mercy is good for the future. Mm-hmm. Now what you cannot do is be stupid and continue in sin. <laughs> Think about the lady who was accused of adultery, credibly accused of adultery. When all of her accusers have left, what does Jesus say to that woman? Go and sin no more. Not just go. He says, where are your accusers? She says, there's none left. He doesn't say, okay. No, he says, go and sin no more. Um, Franklin, you got your hand up. Say that again. I agree with you. In America, we feel guilty about these things after someone has forgiven us it's because we were Right. We continue to feel guilty even after God's forgiven us because we feel like we had to fix it. And we didn't. You can't fix it. The steward was smart enough that when the landlord said, what is this that I hear about? This, he didn't try to fix it. Now, he was stupid. I, I agree. He was unjust. The Bible says he's unjust. He's a liar. I agree. He's incompetent or, or a, a cheat. Well, something. He's a bad guy. But at least he had this figured out. He couldn't fix it without more of his father... Uh, without more of his landlord's mercy. He could not fix it without more of his landlord's mercy. I, I'm convinced that one of our biggest problems is that we think God got a good deal when he got us. <laughs> no, I'm being honest. We think God got a good I mean, boy, I'm God should be happy. I'm on his team. No, 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 no. You missed it. When God saved you, God did not get the better part of that deal. We did. Every time we did. And you know what? In this last week, I've had to go back to God and ask for more mercy. You probably have too. And God didn't say to me, you know, you already ripped me off. You already forgave the olive guy. Half of his, I'm not forgiving this guy over here. And God said, okay, I'll, yeah, I'll, I forgive you. We need to fall on our knees and recognize how merciful God is to us. Lamentation says, your mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. But our problem is we think, you know, we look at those people. and we say, I'm pretty God should be really happy I'm on his team and that pride is when we put our hand over the cup of God's blessing over the cup of God's Holy Spirit and we say no I'm good I don't need your help and like Franklin said we want to fix it ourselves instead of just going to God and saying God I've blown it I sinned I didn't do what you asked me to do I did do what you asked me not to do please forgive me and then not go back into sin again 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, these things write unto you that ye sin not, but understand how deep and how merciful our God is to just keep forgiving us even when we don't deserve it. That is, if you take one, well, that is your application. I, I have four more, but that's the application you're going to take on with you tonight. Recognize how deep God's mercy is, how rich he is in grace. Quit thinking you've got to fix it. You've got to make it right. You've got to confess, and get up, and go forward. And God just keeps forgiving us. Father, thank you. Uh, I I think there's other messages from this passage, but this one is what I want, I, I took from it as the first and the most important application, and that was you are rich in mercy. We can understand the father forgiving the prodigal son because they're related by blood. And sometimes people that are near and dear to us have hurt us and we've forgiven them. uh, Father, thank you for that forgiveness. But this one where the landlord, the rich man, forgives a steward who is incompetent or or an embezzler and then forgives him again even when he keeps doing stupid things. Father, that's one that's a little bit harder for me to understand. And it points to your rich mercy, that your mercies to me, to us, are new every morning. And Father, we ask that we wouldn't, we wouldn't um, think that we can take advantage of your mercy by continuing in sin. No, you've given us forgiveness so we can quit sin. You've given us grace so we can say no to the flesh and yes to you. I pray for anyone this evening who, has been weighed down with this feeling of guilt that they just can't take. If they're your child, I pray that tonight they would recognize just how deep your mercy is and finally receive it. And if they're not your child, I pray that their guilt, that unbearable burden would continue to weigh them down until they come to you and ask for your forgiveness. Father, we love you. We don't understand why you chose us. We didn't deserve it. You didn't get a good deal. And yet, Father, you chose us from the foundation of the world in Jesus Christ. We're thankful for that. We, we ask that tonight we have that forgiveness. And then, as Jesse pointed out, we would be forgiving towards others, which other verses teach us very clearly where we are called to be, not to harbor bitterness, not to look for revenge, but to forgive others as you've forgiven us. We ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ.